in the presence of Pilate, though he had decided to release him. But you rejected the holy and righteous one and asked to have a murderer given to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And by faith in his name, his name itself has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given him this perfect health in the presence of all of you. And now, friends, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. In this way, God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets, that his Messiah would suffer. Repent, therefore, and turn to God, so that your sins may be wiped out. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank Jesus you, himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened? And why do you and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see the tire. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you. Okay, we come to our time of discussion, meditation and discussion. So we have the two readings in, uh, on the screen. And I need you, your help, all of you, in, in uh, helping me um, after my few words. Um, how do you make this reading, these readings, relevant for us today? Um, There's so much in them. Two beautiful stories. Uh, unfortunately, the readings do not begin with the beginning of the story. In both, uh, I guess, in the first reading is fine. It begins with the lame person. Uh, but again, not all the story is given. The same thing with the gospel reading um, in uh, Luke 24. Do not, it doesn't begin with the beautiful story of the two disciples walking 
towards the village of Emmaus. Uh, um, so it is, there is so much in them, but I could not make, make uh, some of the thinking here relevant to us today. And that's why I need, I need your help. But let me begin by saying maybe uh, something that uh, hopefully will stimulate your thinking about it. When I look at the scriptures, especially in this case, the Old Testament, I feel that uh, from the Old Testament, two traditions emerged uh, about the uh, Messiah. The first tradition, which was much stronger uh, in its emphasis, that the Messiah, when the Messiah comes, he will come from the lineage of David, and he would be a warrior. I mean, he would uh, help the ancient Israelites to uh, become sovereign, to become independent. He can will crush their enemies. Um, all you know, David was the, the great warrior uh, uh, in, in the Old Testament. God chose him. And, and so the Messiah will be from that lineage and will be uh, 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 the, the person who's going to really save uh, the people from all the people who were oppressing, oppressing them to begin with, was the, were the Syrians, then the Assyrians, then the Babylonians, uh, then the Persians, uh, then the Greeks, and then the Romans, you know, um, these big empires that were there. So this is one of the tradition about the Messiah that, uh, that we read about and we deduce from uh, the Old, Old Testament. There was, I think, a second tradition, um, not as strong as the first one, where, uh, uh, where um, that it is not through war and violence, but it was through the work and the life of the suffering servant. And you begin to really see in some of the scriptures, um, whether in the Psalms, whether in Isaiah, whether in Micah and other places where people begin to turn more towards uh, uh, nonviolence uh, um, rather than towards war and so on. And uh, people will not learn war anymore as one scripture has it. Has it. Um, and Jesus, I believe, and you find these in the readings that we have here and in the readings that we've done in the last two weeks since Easter, that Jesus chose not the son of David strand. He's mentioned, I mean, these texts mention that Jesus comes from the, from the son of David strand or son of David, but Jesus, although he was from the lineage of David, he chose not the strand of the, um, the war and violence, but the, the, the strand of the nonviolence, the suffering servant, I believe. And, and so the disciples 
so that Jesus' death and on the cross and resurrection uh, uh, really fulfills the emphasis that the Messiah will suffer. And you, would, you find these words in the readings today. The Messiah will have to suffer, although you don't really see that very much in the Old Testament. You don't see it. It's not easy to discover that uh, the Messiah will, will, will suffer, you know, because it was most of the uh, talk is about son of David, that he is there, mighty and powerful and so on. In the church, in the early church, uh, the early church uh, felt that Jesus was the suffering servant, you know, and believed that. And for the several hundred years in the beginning, uh, the church, the early church lived um, um, as a nonviolent community, uh, did not really go to war or believe in war until we come to Constantine in the fourth century uh, when, uh, in, when you find that, uh, uh, that uh, the church made peace with empire and Constantine, Constantine became a Christian and you, you begin to really see. So it's a long story. Some of you are aware of this, but, but I feel, unfortunately, we left the nonviolence, you know, by the fourth century and we, be, we went to war uh, because now the empire has become Christian. And so we went to war and we killed people in the name of God and in the name of Christ. And slowly, we, it was not anymore than nonviolence, the suffering servant that we've seen it in the life and uh, in the death and the resurrection of Christ. So you begin to really see all of that. And, and, and we still live actually, uh, and thank God there has always been some people within the church you know, who believed in nonviolence and in the power of the suffering servant and all that, what we see. But by, by, by and large, we, went, we, we started going to war and we, as I mentioned, killed people then. So this is, you see, you see this in some of the readings today. And I thought that it might be a good introduction that, that we can, we, we are aware of, uh, of this dynamic, you know, that uh, uh, what happened to the, the Christian community and how eventually it, uh, uh, it left the way of Jesus, the way I would interpret it in that sense. Um, so I want to finally just raise some verses here and like you to think about. So let's look at verse 27 in the, um, in the gospel reading. So um, verse 27, he interpreted, let's see. Maybe it's not in the, in the text. There is the next one will be, but let me, let me read it for you. He, Jesus interpreted to them the things about himself in all the scriptures. So Jesus, um, on the way to Emmaus, you know, uh, meets uh, these uh, two disciples, and he he's discussing with them, 
and he introduces uh, he introduces them, he interprets to them the things about himself in all the scripture. So the scripture is about Jesus Christ. This is very important that I'd like us to think about. Let's look at verse 45. This, you can see it. Uh, uh, let's begin with verse 44 in the second reading, the gospel reading. Then Jesus said to them, there, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. So this is, how do you read this? How do you understand this? You know, in light of the fact that many people interpret the scriptures um, the way they want to. But here, Jesus opens our minds to interpret the scriptures. And thus he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all the people and to all nations. You know, how do you see these, these texts? You know, and how do you interpret them? Because some people, instead of Jesus Christ at the center of the scriptures, you know, they put the Jewish people there rather than Jesus Christ. And and we see it many times in the way some of these uh, 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 extremist evangelicals or uh, right-wing right -wing, uh, Christians in the way they interpret now uh, the, the last, the end of days theology. We are here, uh, we, we see that Jesus opens our minds to read the scripture and it is about Jesus Christ about himself. So, um, so I want to end my few words with um, just a couple of questions uh, that I hope will, will, will be helpful. From the readings, you know, uh, how, how do you make these readings relevant to us today? Uh, in, the, in these readings, you, you get a feeling, you get maybe an idea, an insight into the way the early church was preaching. And you could see that the emphasis in the church's preaching was on the, the, the death of Christ on the cross and, and his resurrection. Now, how, how do you evaluate today's preaching? You know, let's discuss also, are you, do you feel you're, um, you're fed, you're nourished with the, with the sermons that you hear today. Is it relevant? Are these sermons relevant to what's happening today? Jesus uh, wants us to discuss uh, what is relevant to our life. How do we nourish our faith? Uh, this is, I believe, is very important. So let's also reflect on the sermons in our churches today. I'm going to stop right here. I hope I've just tried to stimulate your thinking about this violence and nonviolence, which is all in the scriptures, you know, especially, you know, that Jesus comes, rejects the, I would say he rejects 
the David uh, strand, you know, and picks up the other strand, which is the suffering servant strand, and he takes upon himself the sin uh, of all people. Uh, let me stop here and invite you to, uh, to reflect on this and maybe on other things that jumped at you to make this, these readings relevant for us today. Sorry for the long introduction. Let's begin. Omar. Thank you, Assis. Um, if your camera is open and you raise your hand um, physically, I might be able to spot you. Um, I also see some people have already raised their hands. Um, uh, to begin, Cedar, you were the first to raise your hand. Was this by mistake or? Omar, it was by mistake, but maybe later on I will raise my hand. Just let me let me wait a little bit. Okay, thank you. Um, Dorothy? Uh, just a point of clarification that there were more books in the Old Testament than's actually in it. And last year in lockdown, I read the book of Jasher and the book of Unit. And the book of Unit, I believe it was the book of Unit, says quite a lot about the suffering servant. It says so much about what we feel we should be able to read in the Old Testament. So I suppose in the debate, we not to forget that there were other books that were a part of the Old Testament that just never got into it. So Jesus was probably making reference to the book of Unit. Thank you. So, yeah, that was all. It yeah. was just a point Thank of clarification. Thank you. That's good. Um, Robert? So I had a, a couple of thoughts about uh, the verses that Neem brought our attention to in, in uh, 44 and 45. When you hear this business about that everything written about me should be fulfilled, uh, I think by tradition we think of this as sort of like uh, crystal ball, fortune telling. These are predictions that Nostradamus made that came true somehow. But I think Jesus is about something else here when he talks about these things about him in the scriptures. The law of Moses, Moses focuses on liberation. The prophets focus on justice. And the Psalms, I believe, focus on having an intimate relationship with God, both in terms of lament and in terms of praise. And Jesus is saying we need to bring all these things together in order to live a faithful life following him, uh, that in him there is liberation, there is a call to justice and a call to intimacy. And the other part that goes with that is the fact that they recognized him by his marks. And it always struck me that even in resurrection, even on the other side of death, his marks remain. And this tells me that even as we pass through to liberation or to transformation, those things that have, have marked us along that journey will stay with us because they have helped define us. They'll be transformed, they'll be healed, they'll be turned into something else, but they never go away. They remain part of us. So the story of our suffering, the story of our of our hurts and pains gets transformed into something new by God, but it stays with us. It doesn't disappear. Thank you, Robert. Thank you. Um, Betty? Sorry, are you asking me? Yes, 
Okay. Uh, in regards to Naeem's question, given what's happening in our country, in the Americas right now, um, how do we apply it today? In some way, I see that the African-American for centuries have been marginalized and they have been oppressed at the hands of the North American empire. And is there a way we can actually see this coming to life and being part of the answer through the Black Lives Matter movement that they are, have been the suffering servant people, not the violent segment of the movement, but they ha now have begun a movement towards something more that's just. And I believe that's what Jesus was also teaching in his message, that that was the justice that would happen, would be part of the salvation of the world itself and the people in general. So is this yet again a time when we can consider the saying of, it's the least of them who are bringing to light Jesus's message uh, of equality. Uh, they are actually enfleshing is a word that I would use the message of Jesus and which in, in so many different ways, Jesus tried to bring about to the people's understanding. So my question then is, are they the instruments God is using today to open the minds as the scriptures say? Thanks, Betty, very much. Um, thank you. Margaret? You are on mute, Margaret. Yes. Thank, thanks very much. I was very struck just to carry on uh, uh, from where uh, uh, we were a moment ago, but I very much appreciate what Betty has said too. Uh, the words in, in uh, the 47th verse, uh, following on from that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. And uh, that, that leapt out at me, uh, and, uh, the role of the city, the, the, the city with its, its very tragic history, uh, but the city of Jerusalem now as, as having potential for, uh, being, a, an image of unity and of peace. Uh, uh, to the world uh, 
the the importance of of Jerusalem getting away from the 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 line of David and the city of David and so on, but moving into another place. What happened in that place and what that place could still be and show to the world. Thanks. Thank you, Margaret. Uh, yes, on. I have a couple of remarks on that last remark. Please remember that many Palestinians are being pushed out of their homes in these coming weeks, particularly in the Sheikh Jarrah area and uh, in these other parts of East Jerusalem and the old city. So uh, that's a special urgency for that city to become more a reconciliatory city. But getting back to Luke 24, you know, the whole story starts out with this walk to Emmaus and uh, that's been shown as such a beautiful, nice walk. And in some senses it was. But here it was Jesus who had been brutally crucified and torn apart, as it were, on the cross. We only see nice pictures of the cross and of Jesus. But that cross was painful. And that may be the reason why the disciples didn't recognize him, because they couldn't make out who he was not because of spiritual blindness only, which means that they too, as followers of him, were on the lamb, so to speak. These early Christians were not just part of uh, accepted in society, they were with the outcasts. And they, and they finally were able to understand that he was who he was when he ate, not because something magical in the food itself, but because he was hungry. Having been on that cross and the hours before and the hours since. And then when he appears to his disciples behind closed doors, they still didn't recognize him. And that's an amazing thing. All of which is to say that somehow Jesus aligns himself with the oppressed and the poor and the beaten down in the midst of empire. And when we stand up with him, with the forces of peace and justice against the empire, which is there today in Jerusalem, not to mention in Washington, DC, that we stand with those who are the broken and the hurt because that's where he was at. The suffering servant, is someone who actually suffered and was uh, not the uh, pristine figure on the cross that we see in all the time, but the one who was broken and wounded for our transgressions. And so I think that's part of uh, what it means to be relevant in our preaching. We need to speak about the love of God for each of us and the peace that Christ gives, but it also means you are sent out to do something. And a church that is challenged to say, hey, we're having a wonderful time of fellowship, but we got to extend that sense of sensitive fellowship for those who have none. And so that's another good reason many of us are involved with the Palestinian people, isn't it? And with the Black people and hopefully with the indigenous of our land as well. Thank you, Barry. Thank you. Um, Cedar? Okay. So, uh, Assis, you said, how do we see it? How do we see the relevance of what's in the gospel to what's happening today? And um, when we look at the state of Israel, we see that it wants to have it both ways. 
like, you know, they are the children of David and David represents the warrior king and violence and conquest and power. And on the other hand, the people of Israel invoke their suffering, which is true over the ages, you know, culminating in the Holocaust. And so they also want to invoke the suffering servant. But the problem is you can't combine both. You can't combine both. If we look at Israel, it is one of the most powerful nations, not only in the, in the region, it is the most powerful, but it is also one of the most powerful countries in the world. It's, it's in terms of its weapons and its military, it's a superpower. But at the same time, what brings um, um, support for Israel and uh, compassion for Israel is their suffering. So it is impossible to combine both. And I also remember our last, uh, last Thursday, it's, I'm trying now to remember the words. It said that the disciples were filled with power and grace. You know, I was thinking at that time, those words do not usually come together, power and grace. But that's the secret. Um, when power is, is with grace, is connected or linked with grace, then that solves the problem. And this was the power of the disciples, but they had grace. Now remove grace and we have pure power that only destroys and makes things worse. And now two speakers mentioned Jerusalem. Now Jerusalem these days is in a very, very bad situation. Every night there are clashes. Every night there's you know, power shown and people being evicted from their homes, also in Jaffa and other places. So they use their power without grace. And at the same time, they bring the sympathy of the world to them because of their suffering. And that look at poor little Israel surrounded by, you know, nations that want to get at it and destroy it. Now, those are the thoughts that came to me as you were speaking, Assis, and also from last time's reading and discussion. Discussion. Thank you. Thank you, Sida. But, you know, I think this is very important. Uh, first of all, uh, we're talking about power and grace. I, I take it we're talking about the power of God, you know, the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of love, you know, and grace. And I think although what you've said is right on and it's very important, but I really, we need part of our, part of our witness and part of our testimony these days is to show that um, unfortunately for many Israelis, uh, the Holocaust, instead of making them more humane, more human, it has made them more violent. And I think this is the tragedy of, uh, uh, that we really see going on uh, in, uh, in Israel today. Thank you. Um, Paul, I'm so sorry. You had your hands. Yes, please, Paul. Uh, I am still thinking about the first reading and chapter uh, verse 13 and notice how it's written it does not say the god of abraham isaac jacob of our ancestors has glorified his servant jesus it says the god of abraham 
the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our ancestors, and I would add the God of Naim, the God of Omar, has glorified his servant, Jesus. Jesus said to Mary, don't touch me, don't touch me. I haven't gone to the Father yet. But when I do go, I will send the Holy Spirit and you will do even greater things than I myself have done. We are asked to be Jesus, to be the suffering servant, to be mm, the Messiah in the name of God for these our times. And so I think that, because uh, I know PhD theologians who are atheists, I think it's not important, well, it is, but it's not, that we know Jesus of 2,000 years ago, but that we be Jesus for these are times. And that's the power of the sending of the Spirit at Pentecost. Thank you, Paul. I would like to share something. Um, I, I mean, it's the first part is to comment about um, what you have said earlier, Assis. Um, when you mentioned um, the two interpretations about the Messiah. And unfortunately, um, I, I, I disagree with you because I think that it is, it's not that the empire became Christian, it was an emperor who became Christian and some Christ powerful Christians came um, on the level. Most Christians do not have the history of Rome or Constantinople or I mean, uh, or the UK or um, or the US, most Christians of the world are from poor countries, have always been poor countries, they've never colonized and have been really um, the weaker part of the world. So I think maybe when we sometimes say that there was a turning point that the church became powerful, um, it's not true for all of the church. Egypt never became powerful, the Coptic church. They were always oppressed from, they've always been the, um, the suffering servants from throughout history. Um, so that's one part. Um, but even when we speak about empire, today there are, there are emperors in the US, there's emperors in Europe, there's emperors even here in Palestine, very powerful Christians, very powerful uh, bishops or uh, patriarchs. But there's also very suffering Christians in the US, like um, people within on the margins of the communities, refugees who are in the US, um, people who are from the poor um, or low-income families, people who are with um, on the margins. So I think that there's two kinds of churches, and always has been two kinds of churches: the powerful and the weaker um, church, the people's church. And I think we sometimes ignore them because we history is written by the powerful. The second part, I really like this text because I find it very much saying the Sabil mission or the Sabil work, um, the gospel reading. And this is what we do is basically, um, um, we feel um, in liberation theology that the Christians do not recognize Jesus. And what we do is, I mean, and when we start, when we have some groups who are not very pro Palestinians or human rights, or usually on the mainstream of Christians, they get frightened when they come into Sabil. Because they think, oh, maybe we went into the communist party or we came into a revolutionary um, group and so on. And I immediately feel that this is not the Christianity that they are comfortable with. Um, 
And what we try is we do exactly like Jesus. We show them the places of suffering. We show them the facts of the ground. We show them how it is the um, how um, um, the reality is what we live in. And that's what Jesus does. Shows them where the nails went in, the bleeding, the broken bones, and so on. And I think that this is what we are trying to open the minds of people to understand scripture. Like Jesus with the disciples, we try to do the same thing. So it's like everything, the fact-finding, the advocacy. Mm-hmm. When we ask people, um, or when Jesus, it's exactly, we, we advocate for others to be helped with their basic rights of food and water. It's exactly what Jesus is doing. So I see all of the mission state mm-hmm. of Sabil in this uh, gospel reading of the resurrection. Thank you, Omar. Very good. Um, Don Wagner. Yeah, um, thank you. Thank you all. Um, for me, these passages are really a call to the kingdom of God. And uh, we live in kind of a counterculture when we are part of the kingdom. Um, you know, my loyalty is not to the government, even to the institutional church, it's to Jesus. And uh, it's kind of countercultural, and that's exciting. We need a community to help us stay the course, and uh, we need the values like of liberation theology. Uh, but to focus on Jesus with the kingdom is to live counterculturally, and I think that's what Jesus was calling them to. Um, you know, and that that's where the power is. Uh, I'm also finding that I have uh, drawn I, every Sunday. I try to go to church with Trinity uh, United Church of Christ here in Chicago. It's a black church. And the preaching really is very relevant. You know, they'll focus on police brutality, the hunger, um, the racism. And and that really is what uh, has helped me uh, find these values in this countercultural way and, and draw me to that. So... Yeah, just a remark. This is a call to the kingdom, and uh, again, countercultural. Thank you. Thanks, Don. Other thoughts? Could I just add one thing? Uh, hello. Oh. Yes, sir. Oh, you know, it uh, it reminds me back in the 70s, and some of you may remember this. There was in Nicaragua, against an oppressive government that our country supported, such a thing as the church in Salentename. It was made up of peasants and fishermen. Ernesto Cardinal, I think, was their priest. You can still find some volumes of their sermons together where the people really had input as the people of the land who are oppressed. And uh, so if you ever can come across that, or maybe some of you remember, that was sort of the beginning of a liberation theology in Latin America. And it was so relevant. It was so relevant to read and to read again today. So, uh, uh what Naeem has, among others, started with the Palestinians was happening in Latin America in their context. And uh, it showed that 
uh, Christians really had, and the very poor and peasant people had an understanding of Jesus that most of the church of that day did not understand. Thanks, thanks, Darrell. You know, you know, I'm I'm glad you and and Don uh, mentioned this about um, that there are. Thank God for all the churches where you hear the word of God preached. That is really relevant, you know, because it has to do with people. What people are concerned about, you know, it has to do with, and yet at the same time. I have a feeling from the little I know that in some churches, uh, the sermons, you know, you go in, you go out, you say, what, what was the preacher talking about? I don't understand. It has no relevance to life. And, you know, we, the, the people that we meet every Thursday, uh, most of you, I'm sure, would go to church and you hear the sermons. And... Do you see that the gospel is being preached? As Don was saying, you know, it has to do with real life issues, you know, and, and what you're talking about, uh, Daryl, you know, in Latin America. This is, I think, we need to critique uh, whether, whether our churches are being faithful to Christ in, 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 in the right way of really preaching to people or educating people about what's really happening um, that affect their life and nourishes their spirit and nourishes their commitment to Christ. Thank you very much uh, for what you said. Um, Judith? Oh, um, yeah, so many good things uh, that you make me think about. But the first one was... Um, uh, in my name, we sort of spoke about that last time. What does that mean in my name? Do we say Jesus's name like it's a magic name? But no, I think it really does mean every time you see my name or the, his name, that it's who he is, you know, that, um, right. I don't even think you have to be a proclaimed Christian to have to be who Jesus is. And um, that's more important than, a you know, a creed, but it's what do you do you do as Jesus would want you to do? Maybe you don't even know that Jesus is who is uh, guiding you. But um, I think every time there is good done, it is through, through Jesus, God enables it and it happens. And also the warrior thing, uh, you know, a lot of us in, where I live in the South, we have, about, and probably everywhere, but people say it sort of proudly, I'm a prayer warrior. And, uh, <laughs> and they're, um, they or they'll say that about their friends. Um, so I think uh, somebody already mentioned that it's it's a war in the spirit. It's uh, Jesus is the warrior still. It's a spiritual war, and um, that's why you know we need to pray. And if we don't have Jesus uh, moving us, we can't do the things greater than He has said that we would do. But because we He was He was leaving it to us, sort of. And I mean, but He does it through us. And, but, you know, it's a two-way thing. You have to be in and in, in his spirit and he has to be in you. But um, so there is, there is warfare going on and um, we, we need it to be a spiritual warfare and we need it to be a nonviolent warfare. Um, and I wish that, I think all of us would really give our lives if it meant that Palestine could be free 
or, and the world could be free. And so Jesus did that. And so we have to tell the world that's why he died it, and God allowed it to free the whole world and get, get about the business of doing this because um, salvation is not for when you die. You know, if you proclaim salvation in Jesus, uh, you, are, you are asking to be part of that desire to save the world. And people laugh so much when, when you say that people, they think, oh yeah, you gotta save the world. Like that's something evil or stupid. And, um, but, but <laughs> that is exactly what we're supposed to be doing, saving the world. I think India is going through a terrible time um, and Americans probably don't know, don't care, or I don't know about the Europeans, but um, there's some of us do. So the, the few and um, committed need to be about saving the world. And um, I get a lot from this, this meeting. I'm not a preacher, but I so enjoy hearing everybody's um, thoughts led by, led by the spirit. Thank you, Judith. Thank you. Um, Ginevra? Um, I've got so many different scattered thoughts. I hope I can pull them together that makes sense. Uh, one of my um, thoughts is that I think that sometimes the reason we don't necessarily hear the full um, message coming from the, the, the pulpit, from the sermons, is that uh, perhaps there isn't a full understanding of all that is going on in everyone's life. Um, I think it's been hard for some to preach about uh, the suffering of, of those who deal with uh, oppression if they have themselves not been in that position and they're not able to expand their, um, they don't know that there's these pains and so they don't, um, preach on these pains. And so it's important for us all to be open to others' sufferings so that we can um, take our role as Jesus wants us to, um, to be able to comfort those who are suffering. And the other thing that's, I certainly don't want to preach on liberation theology to those that I learned it from, but Jesus to me is the fulfillment of the covenant and that he takes, he, he opens the covenant to the whole world because we are supposed to open the, the kingdom to all. And so um, I have trouble um, knowing what's, what goes on in, in Palestine and Israel, uh, especially in Jerusalem, to know the, um, the suffering that is perpetrated on others uh, within Israel, um, supposedly um, because of a right that they feel they got through Abraham, but we are all children of Abraham and through Jesus to, to fulfill the covenant of spreading it to the whole world. Um, it, it's, it's what we have, it's what we profess we are supposed to be doing. And to do that, we have to understand each other and we have to um, open our hearts to 
to Jesus first, and then we can open our hearts to each other. I, I hope that makes some sense. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. Um, yeah. Uh, I want to point to verse uh, 44, where it says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. I think preachers and sermons ignore this, this uh, insight in the Old Testament about Jesus. I think we need to learn more and more how Jesus was from the beginning of the uh, Genesis to the end of Revelation revealed and that to learn how he was being prophesied in the Old Testament so that we can see Jesus in all these uh, activities rather than the uh, war and peace so-called power that we emphasize so much in the Old Testament. Uh, the Psalms have many beautiful uh, descriptions of Jesus' suffering. And uh, prophets, so, and Moses, I feel sermons are not being uh, wise in uh, not uh, opening their uh, uh, sermons in uh, letting people know that Jesus has been from the beginning till the end. And this will encourage people to learn to love Jesus more and not to emphasize the heroic warfare between Israelites and other nations. Thank you. Thank you, Radia. Thank you. Um, Caroline? Thank you. Thanks so much, everybody, for uh, for everything that you've uh, you've yeah all your insights is so good. There's so much to to consider and think about. But um, for me, I, I keep coming back to Jerusalem. I keep coming back to um, these these words starting in Jerusalem, and uh, this idea of of you know the the source, if you like, the source of our of our faith and uh, the people there, and them as witnesses. And um, I guess I've just been really pondering, um, you know, how the wider world um, sees Jerusalem as a witness to our faith as Christians. And to be honest, I, I think a lot of the stuff that you know, that people generally see on the media, you know, is about the division within the Christian church and amongst the different Christian traditions and, um, you know, the fighting, you know, the, the silly things like, you know, the fights that, that kind of are shown on the media about, you know, who owns which bit of the Holy Sepulchre and, who, you know, which corner of the Church of the Nativity belongs to which Christian tradition. And I guess I, I just keep coming back to that, really, starting in, in Jerusalem, because I, to me, it's so important that the wider world and um, the people who are perhaps seeking 
you know, meaning and purpose in life that that somehow or other um, Jerusalem and the Christians there um, are able to be witnesses in a way which the wider world um, can, can sort of take as a model for their faith and um, for the, their faith as, if you like, for, to, to see how the followers of Jesus actually live and breathe. And uh, I know for me, well, my father, you know, spent a lot of time in the Middle East and he, he became a priest. And also my uncle, actually, when they came back from Jerusalem for many, many years, sadly, uh, you know, during the uh, during the war. But they, they both became Christians, actually. And they used to. My father, when I was very small, used to draw pictures on the blackboard in school, you know, of what. Palestine looked like and um, and I never forgot it as a child and I just I just wish somehow because unless you actually visit and uh, you know come to places like Sabil and you know spend time amongst the indigenous Christians then you start to get a flavour of, of what it means to go to the source of your faith when you, you meet the people and you experience the struggle and the suffering and the resilience. Um, but, but I just wish somehow that, that that could be made more accessible for people to experience somehow and that, that they didn't get the media stuff, which is just so divisive and it, it makes people just sometimes think oh you know these Christians fight about everything and have divisions about everything so that that was just what came to me about um you know starting in Jerusalem you know these witnesses and how that looks to um to the wider world yeah that was all thanks thanks Caroline you know I I really what you've just said um, is uh, so important. I often reflect on the fact that Israel has missed uh, a great opportunity, you know, because Jerusalem can be an example. I mean, it can be. Um, unfortunately, instead of making Jerusalem a place of real peace and unity and so on, we are far from it now because of human greed, you know, that people want to hoard Jerusalem as if it's only for me, not for you, not for us, you know, in that sense. So I think what you've shared with us is very important and I hope we can reflect on it even further in the future. Thank you. Susan? Yes, thank you. Um, I've come from mainly a, a fairly evangelical church and they are terrified of us um, thinking beyond personal salvation, I think. Anything that looks at the, the wider picture shouldn't come into it really. It's, it's, if, it's as if that's an intrusion um, and being political, well then we've got to be careful, we're not political. And 
it just seems so difficult. And in a group that I was in earlier today, somebody who was due to preach said when she looked at the reading of Paul meeting the eunuch on the way to Gaza, she said, how can I say something that says something about the relevance of Gaza today without it taking over my sermon? But I just feel like I mustn't miss that opportunity. Um, and it seems that so many churches just don't want to engage with realities. They'd rather turn their back on it all. Thank you. Thank you, Susan. But I hope throughout these readings that we're looking, you know, the, the, the gospel, the Bible, the scriptures are all about life in its, in its comprehensive way, you know. Um, so it, so uh, po politics is not exempted, you know. It's part of our life. We have to live our Christian faith in the midst of life in its completeness, you know, in its, in its totality. And um, so it's all about politics. You know, it's all about politics. And I hope, I hope we can help others to see that this is the way Jesus lived his life in, its, in a total, totality of the experiences in the community. And this has to, to be the way we live our own life and engage in what, what's happening everywhere in our life. Thank you. It's very important. Are we, uh, Omar, are we, uh, are there other people who, or should we, uh, um, Yes, there is one more person. I um, okay. of my knowledge. Um, Maybe we'll take that one person, please. Yes, Gretchen. Unmute. I'm unmuted now. Yes. Yes, you are. Please go ahead. Thank you. For, thank you for recognizing me. Uh, I very much appreciate uh, being in this conversation and listening to everyone. Uh, I would like to acknowledge that I am in my home, by the grace of God, I do believe, and some human compassion. I'm still in my home here on Turtle Island. Turtle Island is what's with the United States and Canada. And I'd like to acknowledge that I am on the land of the Wabanaki people, the Wabanaki tribes. Um, there are five tribes of 20. Uh, historically, they think the Wabanaki people think themselves that 15 tribes were lost in the settler colonizing here. Um, and Two things stand out to me, um, and, and in some ways it's personal. Uh, Jesus said, you know, helping us to understand the scripture uh, with the mind uh, the, in, 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 a, in, a, in a Jesus fashion, <laughs> how Jesus would understand the scripture. I, I, I pray for that uh, understanding um, it's, it's something I feel like, well, I'm not Jesus, but I have to strive for that and pray for that. Um, but I believe that Jesus makes it possible 
I believe, I feel that my own church, which is the Episcopal Church, and I go, um, you all know Bob and Maureen Tobin. I, I, uh, they, they, I served in uh, Episcopal Peace Fellowship with them, but uh, they were in another part of Maine, further north from me in Wabanaki land, which is Dawn land. Um, but I feel like, okay, my church is, is it's too uh, white. My, uh, the sermons are too white-based. They're too, I feel like we need to do more to get past our settler colonial mind to decolonize our minds. Um, I've been working at this personally. I try very hard to not be brainwashed by media. That's one of my every day. I try to not be brainwashed by the falsifications that happen in our media all the time. And I do feel counterculture because I feel like there's hardly anyone I can speak to about Palestine. There's hardly one, anyone I can speak to about my spiritual path. And that includes in my own Christian church. Um, so I, I just want to thank you for allowing me uh, in uh, to this group and for acknowledging I raised my hand. I, I, I'm learning, I'm in the process of learning, but I feel that when I do learn and have tried to share learning, share pain in church. My priest has been hovering and grabs the microphone from me. Literally, when I have read, you know, something from the Wabanaki people here, he's literally grabbed the microphone from me. I'm the only one in church he hovers over, but I'm the only one who's been consistently with Palestinian rights advocacy there too. I am with you in spirit. I hope to be as good Christians as you are. <laughs> I'm working at it. Thank you. I'm thank going you, to mute myself now. Sorry. Yeah. Thank. Thank you, Gretchen. Thank you very much. And uh, um, uh, we we welcome you always with us. Definitely. Uh, uh, as uh, just before we leave, I just want for take one minute and because these beautiful scriptures, these beautiful readings are so amazing. I wanna leave you with uh, a thought from the second reading, uh, but from the beginning of the chapter rather than from where the reading started. And um, just reflect on it for yourself uh, and um, more spiritually. Luke chapter 24, verse 15. See, we did not start then, but it says that while these two disciples were walking and discussing, Jesus himself came near and went with them. Let me read it again. While they were <coughs> talking and discussing, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> Jesus himself came near and went with them. And I find this verse so beautiful that 
while we are living our life, while we are concerned about our situation, whether sickness or other fears that we have or other things that bother us, let us remember that Jesus comes near and walks with us. This is such a beautiful verse that you are not alone. We are not alone. Jesus Christ walks with us every day of our life. Thank you all for this discussion. Thank you for those who took part and for those who silently reflected. So we thank you and may God continue to guide us in our journey. And now we move into the wave of prayer. Um, I hope Elizabeth, it's okay for you to help me. Is she there? Yes, Elizabeth Singodia. Oh, here she is. Here she is. Here she is. Here. Yes, good. Sorry. <laughs> this week's Kumi Now online gathering looked at how the Israeli military enforces its policy of administrative detention on Palestinian prisoners. By the end of 2019, there were 464 Palestinians being imprisoned under administrative detention. Next week's Kumi Now will focus on the nation state law as passed by the Knesset on the 1st of May 2018. Lord, we pray that the hundreds of Palestinians held under administrative detention without prospect of charges or fair trial may not succumb to despair. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Amnesty International's annual report, released on Wednesday, the 7th of April, spoke out against the institutionalized discrimination shown by the Israeli authorities in their failure to provide vaccine for 5 million Palestinians. Cases of coronavirus have risen sharply in the West Bank and Gaza, and only 100,000 people have been inoculated in the West Bank and 30,000 in Gaza. Lord. We pray that more vaccine will be made available by COVAX and by wealthier countries to help the health authorities in the occupied Palestinian territories and Gaza to bring down the virus infection rate. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Hear our prayer. A 13-year-old Palestinian boy lost the sight in his right eye on Friday, the 9th of April when he was shot by an Israeli soldier in the Bab Zawi neighborhood of Hebron. Azzedin was working in a vegetable shop after school and happened to look out at an incident between soldiers and protesters nearby when, when the shooting occurred. Lord, we pray for Azzedin as he recovers from the trauma of losing the sight in his eye. We pray that this incident will be thoroughly investigated by the Israeli military police. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Hear our prayer. 
On Friday, the 9th of April, three Palestinians living in two different towns in the north of Israel were killed. The death toll of Palestinians living inside Israel now stands at 25 victims since the beginning of this year. Lord, we pray that the neglectful attitude shown by the Israeli police to violent crime committed in Palestinian communities in Israel will change. We pray that the police and Palestinian community leaders will work together to curb the rise in crimes and homicide. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayer. Hear our prayer. We pray for the World Council of Churches in their prayers for the countries of Belarus, Moldova, Russia and the Ukraine. Lord, in your mercy. Hear our prayers. Hear our prayers. Let's spend a few moments in silent prayer, remembering all those who are in need and for all this, those who are sick, especially those whom we know. Let's pray for ourselves also and for our families. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Let us confess our sins to, together. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Almighty God, have mercy on us. Forgive us our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen us in all goodness. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Amen. Let's say together the Lord's Prayer in our different languages. يأتي فنكون تكون مشيئته كما في السماء كذلك على الأرض وبزنا الضروري للحياة عاطنا اليوم اغفر لنا ذنوبنا كما نغفر حوائد المذنبين إلينا ولا تدخلنا في تجربة لكن نجينا من الشرير لنا لك الملك والقدرة والمجد إلى الأبد آمين
Let's commit ourselves in the words of the Agape Creed to live and walk in love. Let's read together. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It does not keep a record of wrongs. It does not celebrate injustice, but rejoices in the truth. Love never gives up, never loses faith, always hopes, always endures. Love cannot be conquered. And together we say, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen. Let us go in peace, love, and serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.